You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Well, folks, I know some of y'all know that we were in Nashville last night. And um, hearing children's choirs and singing hymns is great, but we opened up with Toby Mack. We were sitting eight rows back from the stage. I've never had bass like that. Every time the bass, it literally, I know I don't have much hair. It blew my hair back. Every, it was, uh, that may be the wildest thing I've ever been a part of was that thing last night. Trey's movie was um, uh, up for a Dove Award. They didn't win it, but they were nominated for it. And so, you know, you don't ever stop being a parent once you're a parent. So we went up to be with him for that. Uh, that was an experience, I'm telling you. Uh, the Gaither band came. You had Toby Mack and, and then the Gaither vocal band followers right behind that. You went from one extreme to the other. So Lecrae, y'all know who Lecrae is? Okay, three or four, y'all got to be under 30 if you know Lecrae. He was there. Trey sent out a tweet. I've taken my daddy to a Lecrae um, concert. You can't imagine the people. I was on Twitter too much yesterday. It was a nightmare. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that. I hope you got a copy of God's Word. I'm taking you to the 25th chapter of Genesis. We ended up with Abraham's death. The 25th chapter, just look at this chapter. You've got Abraham's death that's listed here, it then comes to the descendants of Ishmael. And you wonder, you know, good night, where did all of that come from? Then you turn right around and you go to Isaac and the sons that are born to Isaac, the two twin boys, uh, Esau and Jacob. And that's the 25th chapter of Genesis. And let me tell you something That is an incredibly important chapter in the Word of God and in the whole story of redemption. So Abraham is dead, and I couldn't just leave it there. I wanted to follow up. Isaac and Ishmael come to bury uh, their dad. And uh, as as Ishmael comes back, now it gives uh, the writer the opportunity to list what happens uh, with Ishmael. Because the last time we saw him, he and his mother, Hagar, had been sent away. Uh, In the ancient world, in order to describe uh, the world and how the world was created, how the world came about, how um, man got here, the whole story of mankind, to explain the stars, the moon, the sun, all of that, man made up myth. And he devised myth and he made up myth. And the myths grew, and it was the way ancient man would um, tell the story of how everything was here and how everything had happened and what man was doing in this place. And who, what, what were these things that were up in the nighttime sky? The Jews never had to do that because they had prophecy. They had the Word of God. They were literally the repository. That is, they, they were, God deposited his word into them. They received it. They were the repository as God deposited the, his word into them. They were to do two things with that. Number one, they were to live in obedience to it. And number two, they were to teach the rest of the world. If, if um, God's desire had been carried out by the Jews, I, you would have a Jew up here teaching you tonight, not a Gentile. Uh, but they rejected the Messiah because the whole of the Old Testament is that God is the great creator. He is the sovereign author of everything that there is. Man has sinned in rebellion against him. And the only way man's sin can be resolved and have a, and man have a relationship with creator again is that God himself must send a Messiah. He must send one to come and to save man from his sin. So that's the whole of the Old Testament. That's the whole story right there. 
And so the Jews knew this. Uh, they had this prophecy from God. Um, Jesus Christ comes, Messiah comes, and uh, as he comes, he dies for man. He pays the penalty for man's sin, but he's coming again, and in his coming again, he is going to bring everything back up under the control of God. Everything will become his again. He will come. If you read in Revelation, you see that uh, document that has seven seals. Seven seals. That is a legal document that basically in the ancient world is the title deed to the earth and the universe. And it is in Christ's hand. And when he comes back, he peels those seals off. And you see what happens when each one of these seals gets torn off. But what he's basically doing is he's coming back and he's saying, this is all mine and I'm here to take over now. Everything then will come back up under the lordship of almighty God. Now, let me get back to myth. I got carried away there. Let me get back to myth. Part of the myth, one of the great myths happens to be uh, a myth that will come out of the descendants of Ishmael. Um, And it will be what you and I know as Islam. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Now, I'm going to have to stick the notes because uh, if I don't, I'm going to do what I just did. I'm going to start getting off on something else. Well, Islam uh, comes about 600 A.D. And uh, most people think that it comes when Muhammad rides out of Medina uh, with his hordes carrying their swords as they ride across the Middle East and then into North Africa, they come with the message, you will either submit and you will say, uh, Allah is God and his prophet is Muhammad, or we'll cut your head off. Now, it tends to convert people really a lot better than the way Baptists do. Um, so there was tremendous success with Islam. Uh, you either converted or you lost your head. Uh, but there's a little more to the story than just that. In about 600, uh, th- this guy, Muhammad, his parents had died early. He was raised by his uncle. I can only give you a thumbnail sketch. His uncle was uh, a merchant uh, who traveled about. He traveled with him. He learned uh, the you know, selling and all of that from his uncle. And he noticed that the greatest merchants really in the world were the Jews. And he saw how the Jews simply were so well organized and how wealthy they were and how they were everywhere uh, doing business. And they seemed to have such a knack at this whole thing. And he watched them. And then he began to watch as well uh, the Christians that were around him. Now, He's in um, Saudi Arabia, what we know as Saudi Arabia. He's on the um, Arab Peninsula. To his uh, west, across the Red Sea, are the Coptics, which are the Egyptian Christians. To his north are the Byzantine Christians. Uh, To his south are Zoroastrians. Uh, We we won't mess with those over in Yemen. Uh, And to his east are the Persians, and they are full of idolatry and paganism. And he looks around him, and he sees that the Arabs are just awash. These Arabic people are just awash in idolatry and paganism. And he sees the Christians all line up around one God. They're monotheistic. He looks, and he sees these Jews, and he understands they are monotheistic. And so... Uh, the, the, all of the Arab peoples, they're clans. They're, they're clumped up in these clans and these tribes and they war with each other and they can never make any progress because of all the war against each other. And he wonders what in the world could I do? And he comes to the understanding that what we need is we need a single religion. We need to become monotheistic ourselves. Because uh, according to Dr. the renowned um, scholar, Dr. Um, uh, Moray, I think it's Richard Moray, he states that in Mecca, what we know as Mecca, there was the Kaaba, the, the cube, which was basically a temple. Now, 
the Muslims will tell you that Abraham and Ishmael built the original one of those. Uh, the one that was originally there. It was there, we, we know different than that, but what was there was a temple, but it was, it was full of gods. There were some 360 different gods that these Arabic people worshipped. One of them happened to be a god by the name of Allah. He was the moon god. He was the god of war, and he was seen to be the most powerful of all the gods. So uh, Muhammad decided what we needed to do was get rid of 359 gods and take this one God and worship him, become monotheistic. Now, out of the 25th chapter of Genesis, you're, you're going to see these three monotheistic religions of the world today. Judaism, which of course is monotheistic. Christianity, we're nothing but completed Jews, folks, is what we basically are. We believe the Old Testament and that Christ was Messiah and the New Testament completes, it fulfills the Old Testament. Jesus came to say, I've come to fulfill all of that. So we are basically, we owe it all to these Jews. We're monotheistic. And um, uh, now you're going to see that out of Ishmael is going to come this monotheistic religion, but it's myth. Uh, There's no truth to it. Muhammad would go into a cave and in this cave, he would hear, I don't know what he was doing in there, or why maybe he just needed a break from the kids. And there was this cave that he would go into. And in there, he said he would hear a voice, that voices would speak to him. And he believed that it was demonic. Now, you're not going to get uh, uh, an imam to tell you that that's what happened. But that's exactly what happened. He said that these were demon voices. It was the voice of Satan, the devil, that was speaking to him. He went home and he told his wife and his wife told him, she said, no, 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 Uh, that's not the devil. That's God speaking to you. Go back and write down what is being said. And therefore you have now the Quran. Um, That's why Salman Rushdie entitled his book, Satanic Verses, because of this story of what uh, Muhammad went through thinking that it was Satan speaking to him. And his wife says, no, that's God. So he goes back and he writes it down. And now you have the Quran. So uh, he was right. She was wrong. Um, Though they think she was right and he was wrong to begin with. So the Quran is a myth about God. And the whole purpose was not to tell where did man come from You don't get that really out of the Quran. You don't get a Genesis 1 and 2 in the Quran, although it speaks of Allah creating. Uh, What you get is you get an organized way to bring people around one central philosophy and thought of life, which is Islam, the five pillars of Islam. So um, that's where you get Islam, it comes out of this, but it reaches all the way back here now to the 25th chapter to this guy, this son of um, Abraham, whose name was Ishmael. So I want you to look at that. This unusual chapter that I pointed out to you has got the death of Abraham, then the descendants of Ishmael, and then you come to Isaac and the two twin boys that he has and um, everything that's going to come out of Esau and Jacob. And I think that I'm going to pick up with the 26th chapter uh, in a couple of weeks when we come back together uh, or when I'm back with you out of the 26th chapter of, uh, of Genesis. But tonight, I want to let you see three things in this text dealing with Islam eventually, but dealing with Ishmael. I want you to see God's promises of blessing. Uh, around the life of Ishmael. Now, if you're there in chapter 25, put your finger there and go back to chapter 17. Uh, You know the story of how Ishmael was born. Um, Abraham and Sarah go down into Egypt uh, because there's a famine. You know the whole story. We went through all of that. Uh, As they leave there, Pharaoh gives them all kind of stuff. One of the things that Pharaoh gave to them were servants. And uh, Hagar happened to be in that clump of servants that Pharaoh gave to Abraham when he basically kicked him out of the country. Uh, 
So as they go back, Abraham is longing for this son. Um, he wants this boy, and he remember, if you remember, he brings Eliezer in and he says, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Eliezer be. Son, God says, no, it's not going to be Eliezer, Abraham. The son is going to come out of your loins. And so by a certain time, Sarah is so sick of listening to Abraham whine about wanting a child, and she can't give him one, and it breaks her heart, and she's tired of listening to this husband of hers complain about it, that she eventually says, listen, God's told you it's going to come from your loins. Here's Hagar. Take her. Have a son by her. I'll raise him as our son. And God's eventually going to look at Abraham. Do you, why do you not wait on me? This, I, you are going to be the daddy and Sarah is going to be the mama. But by this time, they've got Ishmael. Uh, he's had the relationship with Hagar. Ishmael has been born. And so God comes to him and says, Abraham, Abraham, do things my way. Listen to me. You're going to be dad. And at 100, he's 100, she's 90, they get pregnant. And they have a baby boy. Uh, But right before that happens, Abraham goes to God in chapter 17. And I want you to listen to what he does there. He's going to pray for Ishmael. And as he prays for Ishmael, he comes to the Lord, verse 18 of chapter 17, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before. In other words, God, please let Ishmael be the son of promise. Let this be the son that you promised me. Let this one be the boy through whom all the promises will come. And do you know what God said? No, no. Now you say, preacher, why are you making such a big deal of this? Because the Arab world will tell you that it was God who made his covenant with Ishmael, not with Isaac. They'll tell you, you can go, if you go with me, I've not been able to get up on the mount the last couple of trips, but if you get up on the temple mount in Jerusalem, and you engage, if one of them will talk to you and you engage them, they will tell you it was not Isaac that was brought there by Abraham to slay. It was Ishmael that was brought there. So you need to understand, listen, it's an amazing thing what you can come up with when you just ignore the word of God, number one. Number two, it's amazing what you can come up with if you just twist the word of God. So listen to what the Lord says. God says, no. But Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you'll call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. Now listen, I told you that the Quran was written in about 600 A.D. That's 500 years after the New Testament is finished and closed. That's 2,000 years after the Old Testament has been written. A lot, if you read the Quran, and I've read the Quran before, and it's not an enjoy, it's just not, it's very difficult to work your way through. Uh, but if you read the Quran, the Quran, you will discover that what Muhammad did was he picked a lot of things out of the Old Testament that he liked, and he put a twist on it, which is, which sounds just like who? Yes. And he picked some things out of the New Testament that he puts a twist on. So God says, I'm not going to make an, a, a covenant with Ishmael, Abraham, like you're asking me, but you're going to have a son with Sarah, your wife, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and for his descendants after him. So I want you to know that. I want you to understand that because if you ever engage um, a, a Muslim, you, you need to understand that's the perspective they're going to come from is that this covenant was made not with Isaac. This covenant was made with Ishmael. Now, God did say something about Ishmael here. Look at verse, verse 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Now watch this. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princesses, uh, princes, not princesses, princes. And you come over here to chapter 25, and you see that. Uh, you are introduced to all twelve of his sons. He shall become the father of twelve princes, 
and I will make him a great nation. But now watch, he comes back and he says it again, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, period. Not with anybody else, but with Isaac. So he comes and he says, listen, I've heard you. I I know that uh, Ishmael is your son. I've heard that. In fact, if you go back there and you look in, if you look in chapter 25 and verse 12, it'll tell you twice there, Abraham's son and Sarah's maid bore to Abraham. In that one verse, twice it states, God just kind of through the Holy Spirit states, we understand and I know Ishmael is your son. We know that. That's established. There's no doubt about that. Um, But I am not going to make my covenant with him. I'm going to make it with the son of promise who is going to be born to you and to Sarah. Now, let me show you two things here, and then I'm going to show you two more things uh, before I go on to the next point. Of all the families, number one, of all the families of the earth that Ishmael could have been born into, he was born into the family that God had chosen. Through that family would come the Messiah. That's the family he was born into. He's born into this family that uh, God has already called out to himself and set apart through whom these descendants of Abraham, through Isaac, through, through Jacob, uh, through Judah, all the way down is going to come the Messiah. Now, what a family to be born into. What an amazing thought to think that I've been born into the family that through whom will the Messiah come who will be the light of the world, who will be the living word of God, who will bring the truth for all mankind. You would think uh, that that would make a huge difference, but it doesn't for Ishmael. Now, I realize that there was tension in the home. I realize that. I know there was a little dysfunction. Let me, let me tell you, I can tell you, there was great dysfunction in that tent with two women in there. Um, two wives in there. I can tell you with the bitterness that Sarah had, with the way that Hagar, we read what Hagar did, how she was kind of puffed up because she was the one that had the child. Listen, let me tell you, that was a bad situation. Regardless of that, regardless of the tension, regardless of the fact that Ishmael was the son of the handmaid, Abraham loved that boy. He loved him dearly. Uh, He loved him. He cared for him. Abraham set a good example for him. Uh, Ishmael would have watched his father Abraham build an altar and would watch Abraham pray. He would listen to Abraham pray. He He would hear Abraham as Abraham talked to God. In fact, if you go back to chapter 17, it's as plain as day. Abraham is talking and praying to God for this boy. This is a kid that was prayed for. This was a kid that was loved. This was a kid that was cared for, and yet he's going to reject. Listen, he's going to reject God. Most Christians come to this and think, well, God now has rejected Ishmael. No, 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 no. I just read to you how God said, I'm going to bless him, Abraham. And I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes, but you need to understand it was not God that rejected Ishmael. It was Ishmael that rejected God. So, um, you say, well, now, you know, preacher, that's really somewhat understandable. Well, maybe it is, but let me, let me take you to another son who this other son was to inherit a throne, not a bunch of sheep, not a bunch of, not a bunch of camels, not a bunch of goats, uh, not, not a bunch of tents and a bunch of servants, but this kid was to inherit the throne of a nation. And yet God was working in the midst of that nation and that people to where God had tapped someone else to be king. And when that young man came into the family, came into the mix there, this son who was to be king looked at him and said this. Then Jonathan said to David, do not be afraid because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you and you will be king over Israel and I will stand next to you. And my father Saul 
knows it. Is there a greater guy in the Old Testament than Jonathan? I mean, I, I can almost get choked up every time I read about Jonathan. Jonathan, that's the magnanimity of Jonathan right there. Who saw God working in David's life and understood. Nobody told him. Nobody said anything. We don't have any reference to it at all in Scripture. But Jonathan could see the hand of God on David. And he said, you know what? More than I want the throne of my father and the throne of this nation, I want to be in the will of God. David, it's obvious God's chosen you, and I'm going to be the guy that stands there with you. Jiminy Cricket, if we could have that kind of spirit. You know, Ishmael could have said the same thing, but he didn't. Ishmael could have been the same way. He could have seen the fact that Abraham prayed to God, and that this was God's design. I mean, it's not every day you see a 90-year-old woman give birth or a 100-year-old man sire a child, you know. You had to know something's up with this. Something somewhere intervened in something for this to take place. He could have seen this was the work of God. This is the hand of God. I'm going to stand back, and I'm going to be a part of it, but he didn't do that. In fact, let me show you something here. Take your Bibles. Let me, let me get back to uh, chapter 21. Look at chapter 21. In verse 9, when, they're going to, when, uh, when Isaac is weaned and Abraham made a great feast, verse 8, then you look at verse 9, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born uh, to Abraham, mocking. She says, drive this maid out. What you don't really think about when you see that is this, is that when Ishmael turned and began to mock Isaac, he was basically mocking the plan of God and saying, I want nothing to do with it. Let me give you the second thing. Ishmael also had the revelation from his mother Hagar. If you're still back there in that 21st chapter, let me, let me just take you through that. Uh, they're sent away, and as they go away, it, it breaks Abraham's heart to do this, uh, but they leave, and as they leave, they get out into the wilderness, and you get down to verse 15 of chapter 21, when the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. And she went and she sat down opposite him about a bow shot away, for she said, do not let me see the boy dying. And she's praying. Now, where did this Egyptian handmaid from a pagan culture learn to pray? She watched Abraham. Have y'all, you know, it hit me a little bit ago. Have y'all taken note through this whole series how many people are impacted or how many things occur uh, out uh, uh, just observing Abraham praying. It's amazing to me. I began to think about this. She watched Abraham pray. She saw Abraham pray, and she learned to pray, and she cried out, don't let me see the boy die. And, he's, and she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. God heard the lad crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear. Now listen. For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift, the, lift up the lad, hold him by the hand. I'll make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. God's providing. And she went and she filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. Now watch, verse 20. God was with the lad and he grew. And he lived in the wilderness and became a bow hunter, an archer. Do you see that? God nowhere rejects Ishmael. Nowhere does he turn his back on Ishmael. Nowhere does he reject him. But Ishmael, in spite of all of this, he's got this testimony through his mother of how God has intervened, how God has saved them, how God has said, I'll make a great nation out of him, how God has come down, and the text literally says that God was with the lad. 
that he rejects God. Now, let me give you two things about that. Number one, God does not hold you responsible for the situation you're born into. Now, you just think about this. Uh, God doesn't hold you responsible for the situation that you're born into. Some people are born into very difficult, hard situations. Some people are born into situations where they're not wanted. It's obvious that Sarah did not want him. She may have said to Abraham, you take Hagar, you have a son, we'll raise him like our own. But she really did not want to do that. That was not what she wanted at all. Some people are born into situations where their parents simply do not want them. You're an inconvenience to us. Some people are born into a situation where they are abused. They're abused physically. They're abused mentally. They're abused emotionally. They may be even abused sexually. God does not hold you accountable for that. Maybe you grew up in a very dysfunctional family. Maybe you grew up in a home where where you were hurt. Maybe it's difficult to even talk about a father. Maybe it's difficult for you to even talk about a mother. But you need to understand this. God loves you as much as he loves anybody else. He does not hold you accountable for the situation that you're born into. Ishmael will never be able to stand before God one day and say, hey, I was born into a horrible situation. God was there for him. God never rejected him. What God does hold you responsible for is this, the spiritual decisions you make. God will hold you responsible for that. You can't use the excuse of bad parents or bad home life or walking five miles to school in the snow every day. You can't use all of that. You you are responsible for your own personal spiritual decisions. Okay. Let me give you the second thing. I want you to see the blessings of God fulfilled. Now, this you're going to have to think about, and I want to take you back over to the 25th chapter. I've been everywhere but there. So get over to the chapter to chapter 25 where I told you we were going to start, and we didn't. And just kind of look at this. Verse 12, these are the records of the generations of Ishmael. Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian Sarah's maid bore to Abraham. And you come down and look, you read their names, and I'm not going to go through that, but look at verse 16. Uh, These are the sons of Ishmael. These are their names by their villages, by their camps, 12 princes, according to their tribes. So he starts out and he says, here they are in their names. Has God fulfilled what he said to Abraham in this? Number one, the name, listen, Arabic names are heard all over the world today. There are Arabic names that are at the, listen, at the top of the list of education, at the top of the list of business and finance, at the top of the list of engineering in our day. There are Arabic names that have graduated from Harvard and Oxford, uh, Arabic names that are over, over entire armies, over entire nations. God has elevated and answered his promise, kept his promise uh, to Abraham about Ishmael uh, as far as that goes. Look about the places. This talks about villages. This talks about tribes. Look at the nations today. There's some 28 uh, Muslim nations in the world. Several years ago, I went over and preached to all of the personnel. They brought all of our Baptist personnel out of the 28 nations. Muslim nations, and I had the opportunity to preach to them twice a day. And you stop and think about that. You think about the great cities. I've had the privilege to go to Damascus. I've had the privilege to, uh, uh, I've, I've not been to Istanbul. I've always wanted to go there. Hope to get there one day. There's Istanbul, been to Cairo. Incredible. Listen, when you stop and you think about this, you think about Cairo. Uh, if you've ever been to the Cairo Museum, uh, it is a center of art, of learning, of science, of education. You begin to look at the capital of the Arab Emirates. You look at uh, Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. 
You look at all of these great, listen, they're no longer towns and villages. These are world-class cities. God's kept his promise to Abraham about Ishmael. Power, the entire industrialized world. We have just only in this nation become um, uh, energy independent, but the rest of the world relies on what flows just beneath the feet uh, of all of those Arabs in those countries. There's power in that. There's possessions. The wealthiest people in the world are not NBA, NFL guys. The wealthiest people in the world are these Arab sheiks who count their worth in the billions who make money millions of dollars per hour. Has God kept his promise about Ishmael to Abraham? Every bit of that has come from God. Every single bit of that is the fulfillment of God's promise uh, to Abraham about his son Ishmael. Now, here's the amazing thing. Here we are, what are we? Two, four, um, 6,000 years from Abraham? Not quite 6,000 years. 5,000 years from Abraham? Two. 4,000 years from Abraham? And God is still keeping a promise he made 4,000 years ago to a man that's been dead for 4,000 years. When God makes a promise, he keeps it for eternity. Now, I'm telling you what, if y'all were Pentecostal, y'all be running laps around this room right now. That is an incredible thought. That our God keeps his promises like that. But now watch this. You get down to verse 17 and verse 18. You're going to come to these are the years of the life of Ishmael. 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. And you're going to have one more verse, verse 18. But that's it. Now, that's all of Ishmael right there. It's kind of interesting to me. You're going to spend a lot of time here looking at Jacob and Esau um, and, um, and Isaac and Jacob and Esau. You're going to spend a lot of time looking at old Jacob. Jacob's going to go through all of this stuff here. Then you're going to come to one of the sons of Jacob, which happens to be Joseph, and a fourth of the book of Genesis deals with Joseph. One-fourth of the book. All these chapters on Jacob, a fourth of the book on Joseph, and this is what you get with with Ishmael right here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven verses right there. Does that raise anything in your mind? When I'm working on a sermon, when I'm working on something like this, now I stop, I look at that, and that just raises up a question to me. Why seven verses there? Why is there so much on Jacob? Why is there so much on Joseph? Why have we had all of this with Abraham and Sarah? But we get those few verses with Ishmael. Why? Because that's what happens in life when you reject God. It doesn't matter if you're worth billions. Your life doesn't matter. Uh, It doesn't matter if you own and move nations. It doesn't matter if you're big on the world scene. It doesn't matter. All of those things do not matter. When you reject God, no matter what God gives you in this life, none of it matters. And so that's how he's going to pass, literally, out of this world. Regardless of who you are, when there's a rejection of God. Now look at this. Here's the end of his life. You come, verse 18 is really wild. Uh, and I want somebody with a King James to read the verse after me. Uh, I would have brought my King James in here. But it's interesting. Now listen to what is said. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, as one goes toward Assyria. And he settled, settled in in defiance of all of his relatives. Now, if somebody's got a King James and you got a good, strong voice, stand up and read that verse. Not all, don't do it all at one time now. There you go. And they dwelt from Havilah unto Shur, that is before Egypt, and thou goest to 
In fact, do it. Do this. Read it one more time. Because it's very different than what I read. Yes. Okay. Because here it says he settled in defiance of all his relatives. Now, what in the world is going on? You come to the death of Ishmael. And it is so unlike the death of Jacob, Israel. You're going to get over in the 49th chapter of Genesis, and what you're going to see is this. Jacob is on his deathbed, and all 12 of those boys gather around him. And he's going to give a word of prophecy for every boy. He's going to give a blessing over all of them, and he's going to have a word from God specifically to each boy. Now, for some of these boys, it's going to be a stern word. It's a warning. That's a good thing. It's good when God gives you a warning. And he's going to give some a warning. He's going to give some uh, a word that's a little more positive. But all of it is a word for God, from God, to each of these boys. So as Jacob is dying, as Israel is dying, they gather around his bed. And he puts a blessing on all of these boys. You don't see that without Ishmael. It doesn't happen here with Ishmael. What you see is this, is that he lived, he breathed his last, he died, he was gathered to his people. And then it adds this little verse, they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt. It really is talking, I think, basically about the Arabian Peninsula over in that area, that whole area that way. That he settled there, and the New American uh, Standard Um, The NASB says he settled in defiance of all his relatives. The King James says that he he fell over against his brothers. The word here for he settled means to die, but it means to fall over. It's different than the word up in verse 17 where it says he breathed his last and died. Here it means to fall over, to topple over. You kind of get a picture of this is the end of the life of a man who's rejected God. He just falls. Life just comes out from under him, and he just falls. He's just gone over. He falls against his brethren. And it's sad. It's tragic. But it's the end of Ishmael because Ishmael had rejected God. And God, I keep saying this, never rejected Ishmael. Now, in this chapter, you've got both Isaac and Ishmael are both here. And uh, we see the descendants of both. Ishmael with 12 sons. Isaac's going to have two twin boys. And then out of that, Jacob is going to have 12 sons. And uh, what you see is this, is that from Ishmael and from Isaac... They're going to have a descendant out of their their lines, out of their lineage, one whose descendant is going to change a lot of the world. The other is going to have a descendant who is going to change the life for countless millions for all of eternity. Now, I want you to listen as I close. One whose descendants descendant was Jesus Christ and the other was Muhammad. One who came and said in Surah 2, 190, Allah loves not transgressors. One who said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. One whose descendant would say, Allah loves not those who do wrong. Surah 3.57. And one whose descendant would say, he would that none should perish, but that all should be saved. Now look at the symbols of both. Over one is this. Over the other is this. My Lord, what a Savior. What a God we have. That's our God who gave his life for us. The other says, you give your life to me or else. Wow, I'm too emotional.
I need some Toby Mac. Okay, now I know that's a, that's a ton of stuff, and um, I'll take any questions that you got, and I'll let Barry answer them. Yes, sir. Right. Yes. Yes. Yes, you're right. If you go back to the what we call the Middle Ages, and no, no historian today ever refers to it as the Dark Ages, but they were dark. And they were dark because all of us in the West, or our forefathers in the Western part of Europe, had lost the ability to read, had lost much of all of literature, had little to no science at all. And when um, the Muslims began to march against uh, the West, a lot of that opened up and they brought out tomes of literature, ancient scrolls. They brought uh, calculus they brought uh, astronomy. They brought a lot of things to the West. So there is a great deal. That's Again, that goes back to what I was saying. When you go to places like Istanbul or Cairo or it used to be Damascus before this mad man over there has destroyed his own country, um, you, you, went to, you went to great centers of art and education and science. So that's true, Mr. Bobby. You're exactly right. What is that? Oh, no. Uh, no. They, they, they brought that. Were you a mathematician, Mr. Bobby? Somewhat. Well, I was not. I suffered through what you talked about. I suffered through it greatly. In fact, I probably need to be in counseling right now because of that, since you brought it up. So, anybody else? Anything I could help? Yes, sir. If you go, there's a book entitled Unveiling Islam by Ergen and Emir Kanner. Um, Unveiling Islam. Did you write a part? Did, did you have something to do with that? You did behind the women behind the veil. Okay. Um, I was going to tell you, just see my wife over here. Um, there is also Islam at the Crossroads by Paul Marshall, uh, Roberta Green, and Leela Gilbert. And there, there's some other resources I can give to you uh, on that. Yeah, she wrote, a, she wrote a chapter in the book called um, Women Behind the Veil, right? Yes. Uh, which deals with women in Islam and how to share, share with them. Anything else? There are, there are a lot of good books I can give you. I just don't know. Those are two that I footnoted in my, in my notes here. Well, that's what they're told. They're, they're told that. Why, why, why do you come into contact with so many Muslims who say that theirs is a religion of peace? You, you have got the Sunni and you've got the Shia. I can never keep which is which, which, is which Courtney. The Sunni are typically more the Shia. The Shia are the ones that you're seeing do all this stuff. The, the Sunni are the, they are, they're a little more peaceful. They're a little more calm a little more sedate. They fight each other horrifically. They are brutal to each other. Then you've got the Sufis and all the See her about that. <laughs> so, but they're told that. You know, they're told 
that we are a peaceful religion. We're only, we're only carrying out. They even believe that to carry out jihad is a, is a form of carrying out peace because we're going to take everything over. Now, listen, let me tell you, I have Muslim friends. I'm not a, I am not against a person. But I, I will tell you, Islam is a, it, it's out of hell. It's, it's, a, it's demonic, it, just like other false religions are. Do we love the people? Absolutely love the people. Want to get the gospel to them. Uh, they, are, they are difficult to share with, but they're not impossible to share with. It does take time. Um, with most other people in the world, other than Americans, you have to build a relationship with them. And you can't do that in 10 minutes. We don't understand it. Hey, what do you do? I do this. And where do you live? I do that. Oh, well, great. That's my good friend over there. They don't do anything. You have to spend time with them. You have to eat with them. You have to build relationship and get to know them. Um, we, We have such a Western mindset. But... You know, if you know a Muslim, build a relationship with them. Begin to show. They want to know, do you care over time? So, and the fact of the matter is they live in darkness. It is great spiritual darkness. So our hearts go out. These are the people to whom we should take the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the light. Anyway, I hope tonight was a help to you. Um, Anything else? Any business? Anybody want to bring up some business? Y'all want to buy something tonight? <laughs> okay. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the light. And Father, we don't know how to be thankful for the fact that we were born in a place where the gospel is so prevalent, uh, where it surrounds us all the time, where we hear it and see it. And Lord, we lose sight of the fact that there are so many people that live in absolute darkness. Many, millions upon millions who have never even heard the name Jesus Christ. Father, burn it down into our heart. Give us a passion uh, for those who've never heard. Give us a heart for those, Lord, you've brought literally the mission field to us now in America. Help us, Father, to be responsible, at least at work, at school, in our neighborhoods, to live and to share, to be bold enough to open our mouth and to talk and to share the love of Jesus Christ with those that are around us. Father, I just pray that uh, you would take what we do on these Wednesday nights and that you would deepen us and grow us and that day by day, more and more, we would look like Jesus Christ. For we pray it in his precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.